Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. It's Joe Marino, Kyle Krabs, and Chris Schubert from the Draft Network. And we are your hosts on this Wednesday episode of the show. And we are brought to you by Bet Online, who would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march through the playoffs. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the sports wagering action for 2022. It's a new year, and they have a newly updated website. So head on over and sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. That's B L E A V. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, and Bet Online is where the game starts. Kyle, happy Wednesday to you. Hello. We got a great, great show today, and I'm stoked. Me too, Kyle. Jordan Palmer on the show today. Can't wait to ask him about some of the players he's training this year, and I certainly hope to get some questions in about Josh Allen and Joe Burrow, a couple of his players that uh, have showcased themselves well here in the playoffs. So should be a great conversation today. We're joined on the show today by Jordan Palmer, one of the all-time great quarterback coaches that is out there, and he's doing a great job with a lot of quarterback prospects, quarterbacks in the league, helping them with that transition. We're excited to share the microphone. Jordan came on uh, Draft Dudes a couple months ago. We talked a little bit of ball, and we figured now would be a great time to catch up. So, Jordan, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Yeah, you guys are the some of the rare uh, – you know, folks in the media world who uh, I think actually understand football. So this is good. I'm down to talk ball with you guys. Listen, there's no greater compliment that you can give. So I, I want to start with this year's class, the 2022 guys, and give you a chance to kind of shout out who are some of the guys you're working with in, in pre-draft and, and pre-combine uh, prep work uh, that you're getting a chance to get hands on with uh, in the build up to this year's draft in the spring. Yeah, uh, I'm spending a lot of time right now with four guys. Um, from Cal, Chase Garbers, guys started a handful of years, had some injuries in the middle. Um, you know, really, really athletic guy. I mean, he looks the part. When we do movement screens, and happy to explain what that is later, but um, this is actually one of the best movers we've tested in terms of how balanced his body is, how explosive he is, body composition, and he can spin it. And he's a, you know, a guy that graduated from Cal in three years, so he's super cerebral. Uh, Jarek Guarantano. Um, had a very interesting run. This is going to be, you're going to hear me talk a lot about this guy because uh, he's probably going to go undrafted. Um, and uh, started a couple of years at Tennessee um, and everyone wrote him off, right? He was one of the top recruits in the country. Um, kind of chose Tennessee over Urban Meyer and Ohio State was at that level. Um, and uh, went to Tennessee and had four coordinators in four years. Uh, a lot of pressure, a lot of um, really bad stuff from that fan base. I'll leave it at that. Um, and, uh, really never developed, learned four completely different systems that had nothing to do with the other one and was quiet and was a great leader. Every coach who coached him said great things about him after. Um, but you know, that was Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee's just proven like it wasn't Jared Guarantano's fault. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, 
left there, went to Washington State, was all set up to have this great fifth year, COVID year, go to Washington State, put up numbers, you know, Gardner Minshew type situation. And then everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Got hurt, came back, got hurt, came back, got a concussion, came back, coach got fired. So he's just this guy that's going to slip through the cracks for most folks. They won't take the time to do the due diligence. Um, but when he was just at the Tropicana Bowl last week, dominated through the week of practice. He's six three and a half. He's going to run a low four six. He throws it as good as anybody in this draft, um, and he's a great dude who's learned a lot of ball. So he's going to end up slipping through the cracks, um, but then he's going to get to the right place, which is my job. Um, and and it's, I think it'll probably work out for him. He'll play a long time. So I, I am usually not wrong on these. I said the verbatim the same thing about Kyle Allen, who's heading mm-hmm. into his fifth year, um, and uh, and so anyway, so, so those two guys, uh, Carson Strong from Nevada. Um, you know, we all know that he can rip it all over the field. Um, and, uh, but last year, you know, he, he had a, a, had an operation on his knee. Uh, one of those deals where they, they would love for you to take 10 months. He kind of came back and played in four, uh, when he found out there's no structural damage. You can't do anything worse to it. You're just not going to be able to move very good on it. Um, he just said, all right, I'm gonna play. And so kind of hobbled his way through a very productive, um, explosive offense. I think he broke some records and whatever, big numbers. Um, but really on one leg, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. So right now he's going through the rehabilitation process of that leg, strengthening it, but also learning really the biomechanics, the proper kinematic sequence, how we move, how we throw. He's really learning this stuff from scratch. So he's really exciting because he's essentially this world-class arm talent guy who's rehabbing and learning a lot of foundational elements of throwing that they didn't you know, just kind of passed by him earlier in his career. Wasn't a guy who had a lot of great quarterback coaching growing up. He didn't have a private guy. You know, he's just kind of like a two-star one-offer kid who, you know, played for a really good staff in Nevada and developed on fields. So he's developing a lot off, you know, off the field right now. Um, and then Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. I'm sure you guys will spend a lot of time talking about him this offseason. Uh, but a guy I've worked with, this is my second year in a row working with him. Boy, has he grown a lot in the last year. His attention to detail, his buy-in on the details is at a uh, at a veteran quarterback level. Um, even though it was a, he was a college kid last year, um, and then obviously he's a winner and the productivity and all that stuff is kind of out there. So, so those are the four guys. Um, and then I'm always kind of doing board work for other guys, helping guys with the interview process. I'll spend a little bit of time with Matt Corral this off season. I'm helping Drake London, the wide receiver, that right now. Um, in years past, I've helped a lot of pass catchers. Chase Claypool, Pat Fryermuth, um, Kyle Pitts, um, Michael Pittman Jr., Chuba Hubbard, um, Cam Akers. I've spent a lot of time, AJ Dillon, a lot of these guys I've kind of spent time with in the offseason, helping them get ready uh, for that process one way or another. But those four guys are the core guys I'm spending a lot of time with. Jordan, I want to ask you about Carson Strong because it feels like he's a player that maybe everyone's not super familiar with, but has a real chance to make some noise here in this pre-draft uh, process will be a senior bowl guy and maybe a lot of people haven't watched a ton of Nevada football but he had a great career there and you mentioned a lot of the chatter about the the knee and, and working back from it but how would you kind of summarize his skill set and, and what type of quarterback you know an NFL team would be getting if they were to invest in Carson Strong well I think with Carson you're gonna see it right away I mean I had North Turner out the other day and it was you know three throws in he's like whoa all right that guy can rip it um it's not a it's not a Trust me, bro. This guy can spin it. Like it's it's undeniable. You see it on tape. He's driving the ball to the you know from the left hash to on a whole shot to the right. Like 
over and over and over again. Um, so that, that's pretty undeniable. Um, but in terms of a player, you're getting a uh, uh, almost a Josh Allen type uh, personality approach to the game, like carefree, but also accountable to the things you're asking him to be accountable to. I, I know in the media, Josh Allen looks like this, like very buttoned up and polished guy. That guy's a clown. He's hysterical. He's the funniest guy in any room, but he also is completely responsible for what, you know, it's not like he's, he's joking around in the meeting rooms and then screws up that one play. Cause he wasn't paying attention. He's joking around in the meeting rooms and doesn't make those mistakes. Like, and is accountable for all the information you expect him to know. Right. But he's a joy to be around. And usually people are laughing and usually enjoying themselves, which is a huge, huge element. You don't have to have that, but I think it's helpful. So Carson is one of those really funny, always on a joy to be around cracking up. Um, doesn't, you know, doesn't take himself seriously. He's a goofball, but man, he's locked in and he owns the information. And yeah, I give these guys a lot of homework, a lot of stuff. They have to present stuff back to the group and he's, he's on it. So uh, he's that type of personality. Um, arm strength, to be honest with you, it's it's up there, but it's going to improve a lot as he continues to, one, be able to. But also as he uh, continues to um, just to better understand how to use the ground, uh, you know, to create energy and, and what that means for your throw motion. So he's got an elite arm, but it, it's going to actually improve and the control will improve. Similar to Josh, uh, I, didn't, I didn't teach that guy to throw the ball hard. Um, what he was able to do over the last few years is develop an understanding of how we can use the ground and then how we can do that consistently over and over. That's where his control in the ball has increased. So I think, I think similar things with Carson, they're not the same athlete, but, um, but Carson's ability to his feel in the pocket is better than his athleticism. And so people will test him and go, Ooh, I don't, you know, I don't like his L drill, but, but look at his feel in the pocket kind of hobbling around. He was able to find that space and move. Um, and guys like Tom Brady, and Matt Ryan and Drew Brees, um, who, you know, you wouldn't describe them in the first word you wouldn't, uh, you know, athletic in the pocket is not the first word you'd uh, use to describe them. But boy, they have a really good feel and they're efficient movers. So it's actually become an asset is is that feel, right? Uh, instead of an, a liability. So I think Carson is a guy, as they, as the, as they watch the tape um, because of his knee, they're going to see, they're going to have questions about his ability to move. Uh, that's where this process comes in, the, that pro day, those private workouts. That's why that'll be really good for him. He'll be, he'll be hundred percent by then. Um, but the arm talent, I mean, it's, it's going to be undeniable. And Jordan, I'm, I'm glad you had mentioned the parallel there with Josh and his ability to throw the ball really <laughs> hard, you know, despite some unideal lower body mechanics and generating force and energy from the ground, as you had alluded to. But when I watched Carson, one of the things that really jumped out to me was just how involved he was in the pre-snap process. And it's like game in and game out. He's getting behind center. He's getting in a stance and then he's walking up and he's communicating to his offensive lineman and he's making points. And then he's, you know, very clearly making sure the offense is in the right play. He's making sure everybody's on the same page to the point where, now, this play clock's pretty routinely running down. He's making the most of that time before the snap. So I would just love to hear you talk a little bit about that ownership that he took of the Nevada offense and uh, how that may be able to help him uh, in the pre-draft process. Yeah. Well, I think anytime you see a player get that involved pre-snap, let's say, um, and I actually called a Nevada game last year, uh, kind of just because it was like an excuse to go up there and watch him. And I, I, I'll call a couple games here. It's fun. 
Um, but yeah, I was kind of making points about that during the game. I was just like, watch how many times this series Carson looks to the sideline. And we had like two or three series in a row where he didn't even look over there. And obviously they don't have headsets on. Um, and so it's just complete ownership of it. Now, if you watch a college quarterback not do that, that doesn't mean he can't. It just might be the way that their system is set up is, no, 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 the coach is going to call the play. Um, and so it, it can be a little misleading um, if you were to say, well, Carson Strong did that, but Malik Willis didn't do that, or you know, uh, Sam Howell didn't do that. That doesn't mean that Malik and Sam can't. It just means that that's the way their system was structured. Um, but Coach Norvell, that was the way that his system was structured. He wanted his quarterback to have a lot of autonomy, um, and now he's also not freestyling, right? They've talked, hey, on first and down, first and second down this week, we really want to mix up runs, play actions, and, and quick game or whatever it is. Um, but think about this like from a spectrum, okay? So from a spectrum being one side of it is I have to tell this quarterback exactly what to do or I don't need to say a word to this quarterback, right? Everybody's between there. A true freshman getting thrown into the wolves, like having to play right away is right here. Right. And then some seniors, some, you know, some veteran, I would say, quarterbacks are here. But again, they may or may not be asked to do that. Um, but if that's the spectrum, then uh, Carson's on this side of the spectrum. Right. Because one, he had a good understanding of their, or, you know, a complete understanding of the offense and the coverages they're seeing, had a complete understanding of his personnel and what I like Cole doing, what I like. Romeo doing, you know, his different guys, um, but also then making really good decisions and getting his team into the best situation. And it isn't, you know, chucking it deep every play. It's getting into a screen. It's getting into a run play, um, understanding that, hey, we just had a big play. And then we had a screen where everyone ran side to side. Hey, this next drive, this is a good one. Hey, let's run it up the middle. These D linemen have been sprinting for the last five minutes. Let's run the ball up the middle. So just like that understanding, that type of control over the understanding the game, like what the setting of the game. Here's where we're at. Here's the score. Here's the down and distance. Here's the situation. Here's what we're doing well. Here's what we're not doing well versus these guys. So I would say that he's on that the right side of the of the spectrum when it comes to his understanding and his ability to do that. So if you think about it, it doesn't mean that he can go do that in the NFL right away. He's got to learn a whole new system. He's got to have a really develop an understanding of the coverages he's got to develop an understanding of all these protection things then what getting so he's got to redo that whole process so i'm not guaranteeing he can do it as a rookie but what i'm guaranteeing is when he does understand the offense and when he does understand that when he does develop his understanding of those things he has reps like 25 of them of being able to conduct that thing and so what we're seeing out of Joe Burrow in year two, and I, honestly, we saw it year one right away, to be honest, is his ability to, now Joe is an off-the-charts learner, in my experience. Um, so he, you know, via Zoom, because of COVID, he learned that entire offense, and he understood, and we spent a lot of time watching the AFC North. One, I'm familiar with it, and two, we knew where he was going. So his, his understanding of that has allowed Joe to, he doesn't call the plays, but he changes them all the time, right? And so what Carson shows, and I, I don't know too many other guys in this draft who have, is his ability to, when he understands those things, um, this is the type of guy who can put his team in a good situation, you know, time and time again. Now, is it going to take him three years to get to that point? Is it going to take him three weeks to get to that point? I don't know yet. We'll, we'll see his learning capacity, but he's just proven 
to your point, and I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that, that he's a guy who, yeah, we, if we can get him to this point, this is a guy who can get us in the right play consistently because at least he's used to playing that way. Desmond, you mentioned, or excuse me, Jordan, you mentioned that you have been working with Desmond Ritter for a couple of seasons now. And I'm just curious, as you've watched him play the last two seasons and worked with him, what stood out most to you about the way he's grown as a quarterback? Well, I mean, there's the mechanical side of things that he's grown, um, accuracy, all that stuff. But what he's proven, though, like the body of work is, is whatever his mechanics are, whatever his issues that he's working on, whatever personnel issues they are, he's figured out ways to win. This guy never lost a game at home. That's just like, just think about that. That's crazy. 26-0 at home. It's crazy. And this isn't like podunk you. I mean, no, they're playing good. Like, Houston's good this year. SMU, the last two years, was good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, they're playing good, let alone go to Notre Dame, win at Notre Dame. I, Notre Dame doesn't suck. We were talking about them getting the college football playoff at the end of the year. So, he's playing real teams. But – um so one, he's just shown that he's a winner. That's a definitive stat. It's not my, it's not a personal opinion, right? His, whatever his record at 43 and five or whatever it is. So uh, he's a winner. And I think that's, that's, um, that's not something we should breeze past. That's not something that we should, you know, just say, well, he played for Luke Fickle's a great coach. Like, I don't know. He was the quarterback. There's, there's all sorts of ways to lose a game playing quarterback. The margin for error is wide, <laughs> right? And, um, we just saw Kyler Murray just and, and Jimmy almost lose it. You know, every week we see this in the NFL, somebody kind of almost lose that game for them. Um, and I don't know, he didn't really do that ever. So that, that's one thing. Um, but I think just specifically, we spent a lot of times on the mechanics. I don't really talk X's and O's with guys in college. Their coach should be coaching them on that. That's not – if I was their quarterback coach, I'd be pissed if some guy in California – watching games on TV was telling my quarterback where he should have thrown it. So I, I, I respect coaches too much to, to get involved in that. Um, but on the mechanics, um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't like a rebuild. So it's not like we've seen this crazy improvement. Um, but I think uh, pushing the ball, to the perimeter, his throws to the left and then deep balls. Uh, he overthrew a lot less deep balls this year than he did the year before. And it's just the buy into the little tiny things. Um, if I were to explain to you what we're working on right now, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a there's very few quarterback coaches on NFL teams who would be able to follow the conversation. We're talking about posterior tilt of his pelvis right now when he tries to recruit energy, when he activates that glute on the backside and lacks stability in that hip on the left side. You know what I mean? Like, so those are the types of things we're working on. But what this guy is elite outside of being a winner is his buy-in, his attention to detail, his interest in those subtleties um and and his understanding of the difference it's going to make um i don't know it goes over a lot of college kids heads a lot of guys i could do that and they'd say yes sir and listen but uh, i'm not going to really understand it and then take ownership in it um i've got a guy i work with uh he works with me full-time mike white um i think in a few years he'll kind of be the uh he'll be a name that everybody's talking about he's not the personality and media and stuff that i do with my experience but man does he understand the body but I mean, Mike was out there in Dallas, you know, before the game, for the semifinal, working on, you know, hip mobility on that left side so that we can decelerate that left hip to really come across. And and it's, again, that's that's Dez wanting him there before the college football playoff, an extension of us, you know, via Zoom, watching games all year, watching, you know what I mean, breaking it down. Uh, this guy is just, you know, every week carves out hour to 90 minutes, wanting to, fo and we're talking about, 
pulling up game clips of where his left foot was as he's moving through his hips to turn at the top to throw to the left on that one throw. Uh, it's just a lot of college guys that aren't into that yet. Um, and so Des, that's why his ceiling's so high. You pair that with athleticism, um, and the ceiling's really high because you any coach who's going to go, yeah, I just don't like this about his game. Well, if you're going to say that, and then that's going to be the reason you don't take him, that speaks more to your lack of confidence and your ability to coach somebody than it does that guy's in, uh, uh, that guy's deficiency. So if you say, I can't coach this guy, he's just not athletic enough to do it, okay, I'll give you that. But if somebody says, this guy's super athletic and super bought in to the details, but I just don't know if I can help him, then that's a personal problem. Jordan, uh, that's really fascinating to me. So I, I went to Penn State, my degrees in kinesiology. So I took some biomechanics courses and kind of understand. Yeah. So, so do you have technology that's involved in that when you get guys out to the facility or is that, or is that kind of just breaking down gate tape and, and understanding, having that really intimate understanding of the biomechanics that you're looking for? Uh, it's a combination of three things. So one, yes, the technology side of it, we have a, we use a DARI system. So the company's called Biometric. Um, B-I-O-M-E-T-R-E-K. Um, and Chris Hess owns that company. Um, he's a biomechanics expert. Uh, he's driving across the country right now, um, hitting multiple colleges, uh, multiple NFL teams. Um, he does it quite a bit. Uh, a lot of my NFL guys, he drives or, or flies to them, and, and we assess them monthly throughout the season. Uh, the idea with a guy like Josh Allen is like, let's peak in January. That's not going to peak in July. Right. Um, and that's just been the traditional thing. These guys work out in the off seasons and then the season starts and they go, you know, it's just, I'm banged up. I'm a little sore, a little, they don't even know where they're at, but like guys on tour, what you think they like measure that stuff in the off season and just go play ball, just go play golf during the season. These guys are doing assessments up until the day before, you know, Wednesday of the masters. So I just realized years ago that like quarterbacks are way behind golf and way behind baseball. So Chris was the first person I did a ton of research. I found, you know, Chris and I found each other. So the first thing we do is a biometric assessment. So we do a movement screen uh, to better understand any deficiencies. So hip mobility, thoracic rotation to the right versus the left, um, single leg, um, you know, how is their hip stability? You know, when they do a single leg squat, does their knee come in, which would be valgus? Like, does that come in there? Okay, well, that's not a quad issue or a knee issue. That's a hip stability issue. And to be honest with you, that's where some of these non-contact ACLs are coming from. Two stars in Alabama got hit and get hit on it. Um, and so I think there's real questions there about, you know, what are these strength programs doing to create hip stability for these players? Um, most of these college players are quad dominant, right? There's 100 kids in the weight room. They're all doing squats. They all lean forward. They get into their toes, push through the ball of their foot because they're trying to get the 500-pound club T-shirt or move to the next rack. And then four years later, they're quad dominant. And they're set up for an ACL. So um, we use a movement screen, and then we do a throwing analysis on that. And we do it on force plates. So we're able to really actually measure, one, the amount of force they're able to put into the ground, and two, the angle that that force is going. And so that, 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 that uh, um, I guess, that distinction between that, that back leg and that plant leg, you know, right leg and that left leg for a right-handed thrower. Um, and then we also can look at what are the limiting factors from the movement, the, the, the uh, uh, functional movement screen that we do, how does that affect the throwing motion? So if somebody has a limited thoracic rotation and they're not getting their left hip to rotate, decelerate and stop so the right hip can come through, well, we look at everything in terms of what's any issue in terms of it's one of two things. It's either a mobility issue meaning 
this guy's physically incapable of doing it. Genetics, tightness, the way he's body, but whatever. He can't get to that position or he's physically capable of doing it, but it's a motor control issue. He just doesn't do it, right? So let's say that somebody has thoracic rotation. So let's say my hips are locked in place, my spine's ability to rotate, okay? That's your thoracic mobility or T-spine mobility, okay? So let's say that somebody has a ton of thoracic rotation to their right, right? And then when they throw, they don't do it, okay? So we don't need to increase the thoracic rotation. We need to develop a better movement pattern and create more stability in his lower half to be able to allow for that mobility through his midsection. So we're just using that. It, it, we don't plug him into biometric and he comes out better. It helps us tell the story of what's actually happening. And honestly, it helps the quarterback have his first big boy mechanics conversation. Because the conversations these guys have with their college and NFL coaches is like, don't overstride. Don't lean so far back. Get it up a little bit. It, they're, they're, they're kid conversations. So this is like the first big boy conversation for a lot of these guys. Then the second thing we do is we, this iPad I'm talking to you guys on right now and this little tripod thingy that it's sitting on, it's out there every day. We're reviewing throws every day. Now I want them to see themselves. Because when we review that biometric data, they're a skeleton, right? And we're looking at numbers and data points and skeleton. Um, so the second thing I do is we video and we watch it. Okay? See, your left, see your left shoulder rise when you climb right there? Okay. Well, that shoulder sits right above that hip. That left hip is rising, okay? So we need to get more stability on that left side. So those types of things. And then the third thing we do is, um, you know, depending on where we're at in the process, we watch game tape. We'll see what happened. Some guys watch practice tape if we have access to it. Um, and then the, the, the random one that's more or less just like fun to track. Uh, I'm a, a brand ambassador, uh, have been for a few years and just signed a five-year extension with Wilson. Um, uh, we did this today, literally. So Wilson has something called connected. And so we have a chip in the ball. So I work with the R&D team at Wilson. And we, we have a lot of data points, but we measure three key data points. We measure velocity, which is miles per hour, spin rate, which is RPMs. So you can throw a duck that has a lot of RPMs. This is just how many times it spins, irrelevant of how tight it is. The third one is spiral efficiency. This is essentially measuring the tip of the ball, how much it moves. So 100 would be the, the tip of the ball did not move, and a one would be like a helicopter. And there's a thing called a center point of instantaneous rotation. So that's like the, 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 the point at which everything rotates around it. So a 100 or a 100 would be that there was that was essentially, a, you know, it didn't move. So we measure those three things. The chips in the ball, they literally, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. You have no idea. So today, a couple slants to the right, bang eight, stop nine, whole shot that they're ripping, and then about a 50-yard fade. The right, the left, and then we track that every two weeks. So what's cool is last year, Shane Bichelle, right? Had we done this thing, I would have I would have been dead right on Shane Bichelle, okay? Shane Bichelle is almost 6'1". I think he ran a 4'9", um, but he's a gamer. He's a baller, okay? So we didn't work on throwing the ball harder. Now we found a couple of deficiencies. He had a thing called casting. So when you throw and you really try and rip it, that arm gets tucked this way, bends back. In golf, that would be getting to this position and then bending the club down, casting. That's why they call it casting. And it was a lot, he had lost connection. So whatever, we built all this stuff out. So at the end of it, from the first day I tested him with Wilson to the end, he spins it 20% better and got 18% velocity. Wow. 
And I'm not, what what we don't do is go, all right, here we go, throw it as hard as we can. This is just a route that they're throwing. And I take a blended average and then we we go from there. The data team uh, at Wilson does that. So those are like the four pieces of technology I would say that I use, force plates being a part of that. Um, And it's more or less to help, help, the idea is like all of this should just help this guy understand how to take ownership of his stroke, how he moves and how he throws. Like that's the idea. It's not like I'm posting this on Facebook, right? Like it's about educating these guys. For some guys, man, the biometric data makes a ton of sense. For some guys, they just need to see a video of themselves, right? For some guys, you know, they need all of it repeated over and over again to understand it. But the idea is that they they start to take ownership of it, and now they know very specifically what they need to address. Jordan, you're well known for your work with Josh Allen, and I've got to ask you about. Saturday night against uh, the New England Patriots and what you saw in what was objectively one of the best quarterback performances that have we've ever seen, right? Offensively, seven drives, seven touchdowns. Josh Allen, 21 to 25, over 300 yards, five passing touchdowns. He couldn't be stopped against one of the best defensive minds in NFL history and Bill Belichick and a really good Patriots defense. How, how does something like that make you feel? What do you, What do you have to say about that type of performance? Um, I would say the thing about Josh and a, and a couple of guys, um, I think Josh and Joe are going to play themselves in two weeks. And it's, I'd say the same thing about both these guys. Um, so I think confidence is the most important trait in a quarterback. I just spent six minutes talking about data and technology. It's all, it's all helpful. It's great. Confidence is the most important trait in a quarterback. It's not even close to me. Okay. You want to find a common denominator? It's not the it factor. It's not talent. It's not being 6'4". It's not being mobile and in great quarterbacks. That's not, those are not common denominators. Confidence is. You know why a lot of people don't like Aaron Rodgers? Because they didn't give a shit. (laughs) Don't care what any of you think, right? Same thing with Joe Burrow. Same thing with Josh Allen. So from a confidence standpoint, I think Josh is at a place right now where he believes that he's the greatest player on the planet and that nobody can stop him. And so when you get to that place confidence-wise, then you have the ability to back it up. Then you have the resources around you that support that and not support that versus New England the other night had been being built around him for four years now. Brian Dayball plays a role in that. Ken Dorsey plays a role in that. Davis Webb, the third-string quarterback, who's his boy and his eyes on the field, plays a role in that, let alone... Stefan Diggs and Singletary and Jerry Hughes plays a role in that. Those safeties play a role in that. Leslie Frazier plays a role in that. And so when you have a player who thinks he's the best player on the planet and he, he can't be stopped, then really all that guy has to do is go out and execute. You don't, when you feel like I don't have the resources around me, then you might press. You might force it. Like he did his first two years in the league. He didn't do his. It's been two consecutive years of him not doing it. And any games where they lost that they shouldn't have this year, it was because that was off and they just, they pressed unforced errors. So they're peaking at the right time. They took their lumps earlier this year. Um, I I, honestly, I I think it's going to go the exact same way. Now they're going to play against a much better offense. So this is going to be a, I think a potentially uh, Jared Goff versus Patrick Mahomes two or three years ago. Sunday night football type shootout, right? But um, but I think the offensive productivity we're going to see this week is going to be eerily similar to last week, and I think the same thing for Kansas City. So I think it's going to be a great shootout. Um, 
but I think I'm fine saying this. Like the last two co- years, the conversation with Josh has been this, 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 this year's worth of work. So at the start of the off season, we said this year's worth of work is going to be either it's going to pay off or it's not the last four minutes versus Kansas city. That was the conversation we had last year. I went to that game last year. Um, now I figured it would have been in the AFC championship because I thought these guys would be higher seeds, but it doesn't matter. Like this, everything's coming down. I think the last four or five minutes of how you handle the last four or five minutes of the Kansas city game. So you look at the, the what Buffalo did in the draft, what they do in the first two rounds, get somebody who can sack Patrick Mahomes, right? Free agency, these pieces, right? So what's exciting is he's really well prepared to handle those last four and a half minutes really well. Um, it starts with the confidence and then the other side of it is the pieces around. And I just think, one, he's, his confidence level in himself is through the roof, but his confidence level in his linemen, his confidence level in his tight end, his confidence level in those running backs, his confidence level in those wideouts, right? He's had games where, like, they didn't have digs, right? And they didn't have whatever. They, somebody else had to step up, right? And then they go get, uh, what's his name, the, the running back from San Fran. Like, that guy has had to step up. So they've just his confidence level in all of it, is is uh, at a fever pitch. And so I said earlier, I'd say the same thing about Joe. So repeat for Joe Burrow. I think he believes he's the best player on the planet and that he cannot be stopped. Well, you get to that, and he's got the resources around him. Sure, we wish his old line was better, but like he's got the resources around him. And so his confidence level is where it needs to be to win a Super Bowl. Jordan, I'd, I'd leave you with this, because obviously you've seen guys come into the league and guys with different experiences and environments and resources like you're talking about. And we're seeing kind of the pinnacle of that in Buffalo with this being year four and they've been invested so much into building around him. And just kind of curious, you know, from your perspective, because you obviously pay attention to the entire league too, how hard or how challenging or how rare it is to have that pathway be that consistent for that amount of time and how quarterbacks can navigate when they aren't afforded the same offensive coordinator for the first four years of your NFL experience. And you, you don't have all of those relationships or whether it's attrition from assistants getting hired to go somewhere else or having a deficiency on the roster that's kind of limiting to you. So how rare is it from your eyes and your experiences with the league to have the supporting cast that Josh has had built up? And, and what are some of the biggest barriers uh, that young quarterbacks experience uh, that prevent them from getting to that point. This is the biggest injustice in football right now. It's just that some of these owners and these organizations suck. They make bad decisions. I don't think people ask me like, what's your favorite team? I don't have a favorite team. I played for seven of them. I don't think of them as teams. I think of them as companies. They're just companies, right? Just like you have some products you wear. Maybe you like Under Armour, right? I love it. I don't know. I'm from the East coast and I like Baltimore and Kevin Plank or uh, this is super soft or every, you know, I don't know. It's just, they make good stuff, whatever it is. We all have our stuff, right? Um, I think of them as companies, right? I think of the Pittsburgh Steelers as a fantastically ran company. They make good decisions. They're consistent. When's the last time Pittsburgh did something big and you were like, Whoa, I didn't see that coming. Well, I didn't feel that way when they got rid of Le'Veon Bell. I didn't feel that way when they got rid of Melvin Ingram this year. Look, somebody's a problem. Get rid of them. That's what they do. And then you look at teams where you go, how have they allowed this to happen over and over and over and over again? You already fired the GM, so it wasn't the GM's fault. It was the wrong GM. 
whose fault's that? So I think there's a couple of spots where they just got it right from top down. Buffalo, perfect example to start with. Brandon Bean was the absolute right move. And here's the thing with Brandon Bean. When he got there, they didn't have the seventh pick. He traded to seven. His guy all along was Josh. Had they had the number one pick, they would have taken Josh. Like he, and I'm not, I'm not saying teams should all do this, but like, and he grilled me. You know what I mean? He, he did his due diligence for teams. Some, and I talk to teams a lot, but like, I don't talk to all of them. Some of like, how do you not go through exhaust everything? You know what I mean? And so they did that. And then like the, the coach, the way that they put it together, Ken Dorsey, former player, had just done work with Ken with uh, Cam Newton. Ooh, that's similar. Who's the two of the player that we compare Josh to, right? Like that guy was able to help him bring him in. Okay, like they needed to address the O line. They go Mitch Morse. Where was Mitch Morse before that? Patrick Mahomes' second year in the league is MVP. That guy snapping to him was with Alex Smith before that. Alex Smith's best season in the pros was the year before Patrick Mahomes took over. 12 and four, best statistical season. So you put that guy at center, right? Yeah, is he good at snapping? Sure, but this guy's gonna explain to Josh how this should be done, how communication should happen, how identification of front should happen, what our communication should be like, right? If you wanna play at the Mahomes level. So they just like, it's all the pieces. Like we, we can talk about stuff on digs, that, that's, but like there was pieces in place before that. You wanna have a young guy take over and have success early? Well, Cole Beasley can explain how to do it. He was catching balls for Dak Prescott, who was a fourth-round pick, third-string quarterback, gets thrown into the starting role in his offensive rookie of the year. So it's all those pieces that they put. So I look at Buffalo, and I go, this is not just Brian Dable being a great OC. This is not – it's not me. This is all of – it's the accumulation of fantastic decisions to put this quarterback in a position where he can reach his potential super fast. Okay, so I think the Rams did that with Jared Goff. I would just say they picked the wrong guy and extended the wrong guy. They said that <laughs> by trading him, right? Um, I look at Baltimore, right? Like the offensive coordinator, like Lamar's out of the league. If there's not another Lamar, I don't know if that guy's an OC because that's it works for that. He was with Kaepernick when Kaepernick was reinventing the way that you play quarterback through mobility. Right. And then all the receipt, get Mark Andrews. Well, he played at OU in a very similar scheme. And they go get Hollywood Brown. Right. So you just look at like Baltimore, the way that they did that. Kansas City, all in. You know what I mean? Trading up to get him the pieces around it. First thing they do, boom, extend Travis Kelsey. Like, so there's just a handful of teams that have got it right. And what I say on, on when it comes to quarterbacks who don't make it, um, you know, high picks who are busts. Way more teams bust on the development of the quarterback that they picked than they did just but then the player was a bust. Like Blaine Gabbert, I backed him up in, in, in Jacksonville. You think Blaine's a bust? He's still playing. You think he's fooling his fourth team? No. They busted on developing him. And so over, and I trained Blake Bortles, and I trained Trevor Lawrence. So here you go. This is my third straight Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback that was selected in the top 10 picks. Uniquely positioned to have an opinion on this one. And so teams bust on the development of the player way more than they bust than they just picked the wrong guy. There's not that many busts out there. You know what I mean? These kids are pretty good. They're just maybe not ready yet. And so you need to develop them. And 
For Patrick, that meant sitting for a year. For Joe, that meant getting more pieces around him. For Josh, it meant this guy needs to really invest in the off seasons, and this guy needs to be. We need to put players around him. You know, what I mean? it's everybody. It's a different. If it's a different thing. But, yeah, there's a handful of spots that are ideal spots. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is about to retire. This is the holy grail. Whoever gets to be the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback is going to play in a couple Super Bowls. It's just data. <laughs> it's like it's just statistically true. So, and then there's teams that are just like, I don't care who their running back is, who their wideout is, and how good the head coach is, they're going to suck because they don't know how to do this. This was uh, everything I'm sure I speak for, Joe. Everything we hoped it would be and more. This is a really great conversation. And, and Jordan, uh want to give you the floor here as we wrap this up to remind everybody about the guys that you're working with, uh, where they can find your stuff and kind of follow along as you make things available uh, in the, both the pre-draft process and whatever else that you have your fingers in and, and are working with uh, quarterback development and otherwise. Yeah, so for me, I, I like to work with quarterbacks of all ages and all different talent levels. So for the NFL draft, I'm inviting guys with the NFL veterans I work with. It's case-by-case -case basis. But uh, I, I launched something called the Summit Tour. My business is called QB Summit. So I actually have 12 tour stops. I just had my first one last weekend. So 11 more tour stops around the country, January to July. Uh, I'm going to Charlotte. I'm going to Nashville. I'm going to Austin. I'm going to Vegas, Arizona, um, and uh, uh, a couple other spots, Orange County, L.A., uh, so I'm going across the country. It's for middle school and high school quarterbacks. I essentially take the exact same things I'm doing with older guys. I don't have kid drills, and I apply them to young guys. In fact, this last weekend, I had my draft guys throw. The group of kids watched, and then we turned around, and we did the exact same things. Simple movements, being able to repeat patterns. Uh, I believe that the best quarterbacks, I'd say the best athletes, um, they get behind their behaviors more than they get behind talent. Talent's got a ceiling. Behaviors. Tom Brady is out behaving everybody right now. His ability to buy into the details and create routines and processes and continue to address deficiencies each year, he's just out behaving everybody because he's certainly never out talented anybody. He didn't even out talent uh, Drew Henson at Michigan, let alone Drew Bledsoe, right. let alone any of these guys who've been playing in the AFC East. And he didn't out talent Mark Sanchez, right? He's out behaving everybody. And so I teach those behaviors. What do you do at 12 years old? I literally have things I'm teaching 12 and 13 year olds right now that guys are spending money. NFL players are spending money to learn for the first time. And it's about establishing those behaviors and those patterns. So I run a camp across the country. Um, you can go to qbsummitcamp.com. Um, and then I have Summit Digital. I have an online community, uh, a couple hundred kids, 35 states, five countries. I do a Zoom every single weekend. Uh, it's Q&A. I break down tape. I install stuff. Talking about leadership, um, you know, confidence, all the, the sports psychology side of things. Um, and then I've got over 100 pieces of content in there, which is essentially three to five minute videos of how I think you ought to do this. Um, and, uh, and it's growing like crazy. So, um, so yeah, whether it's coming to a camp, I usually tell people, sign up for Summit Digital, get used to the language, the methodology, all that. There's a lot of drills in there, too. Um, and then come to a summit because um, I just don't really do privates with kids. Um, and that's been the capacity. So, uh, it's growing and I'll, I'll see, a, I'll see in one, one way or another work with a couple hundred kids this year, uh, which is exciting. Jordan, thanks so much for your time. Hope you're well, hope your guys, uh, wishing them all the success in the world and hope to talk to you again soon. Cool. Thanks guys. Thanks dudes. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.